in Cleveland, Ohio. It's good afternoon, everyone. So um, it's amazing, you know, I uh, I was thinking about this and uh, this is the first time I've ever, um, you know, had the honor to do a, uh, a meeting overseas. And uh, it's amazing what, what Zoom has done uh, to the world and especially how it has helped me and I'll get into that. You know, actually Zoom has saved my life and um, Zoom has prolonged my life. And I'll get into that prior to uh, coming onto this meeting, I had to go through a series of, um, of breathing. Um, I'm on a constant breathing machine. I use oxygen and, uh, and um, just to be able to do this. And I'm not always able to do it, but I wanted to do it. Um, and so I have to prepare myself. And so if I also didn't fade out for a little bit, um, you know what's going on. And uh, you, you never know who's going to touch your life and you never know who's going to pop in, uh, into your life, even for, if it's for a short time that's going to affect you or is going to say something. And so what I've learned in my journey here in Alcoholics Anonymous, I, I, have, I have to learn and I didn't have that when I first came here. I, you know, I, I not only had to learn to be honest with myself and uh, keep an open mind, keep an open mind for everything but I had to have the willingness to do that. And when I didn't have the willingness, I had to ask with that, with that willingness. And when I, when I started here, I, I, I came into traditional Alcoholics Anonymous, very strong traditional. And so I had to pray for the willingness. And now I have to ask uh, a power that has transitioned from that very traditional to my higher power. And to be honest with you, I'm still looking for that higher power. I, I don't know what it is. I know I'm not uh, um, an atheist and I, I, and I, I don't think I'm a, a total um, agnostic, but I, I'm no longer that Christian that I used to be. And the beauty of all of this is that every little step of the way has taken me through another segment of my sobriety, which gives me the type of life that I have today. Uh, I have a sobriety date, it's April 25th, 1997. Um, I have a sponsor, his name is Alan. He is, uh, he is, um, Jewish and he's moved into a very uh, orthodox uh, religion. So AA is kind of sliding out of his life somewhat. But when he came in, he came in being a Jewish man um, in very, very strong godly uh, traditional AA meetings. And him and his wife were in the programs but as he has, I told you, he's branched out into an Orthodox Jewish. He still comes to AA, but 
he's more orthodox. And um, so we deal with that and I've had that pleasure. And um, so I, I, I have a home group. Um, I have the, still have the same home group that he assigned me to. And I go there just because I, I feel an allegiance to, and I have friends there, but it's, it's, not, it's not strong traditional AA, you know, it's not strong anything. And informally, I use Westside Agnostics as another home group. And I also do the opposite. I, I have a New Orleans group down in uh, New Orleans is very, 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 oh my God. You know, <laughs> traditional and godly. But, you know, I learned from them too. And uh, I'll get into all that. Um, I can tell you today is I'm a very blessed man. I'm a very blessed man because I have been given the precious gift of sobriety. Um, I'm sure you don't know this, but I, I, uh, I was graced with um, having probably one of the greatest little jobs that a person could ever have in their lives. I'm one of your trust and servants at the AA Intergroup Office in Cleveland, Ohio. I've been here now for 21 years, and I hear a little bit of everything, and I see a little bit of everything. And what I've learned over that period of time, it doesn't mean if you're a believer or non-believer, it doesn't mean if um, what's going on in, in your life. If you don't stay with a program of Alcoholics Anonymous, if you don't work with some type of a program, whatever that is, the person that you are shall drink again. And it never gets better, it only gets worse. And I've seen people that have lost everything, lost their families, lost their businesses, lost everything, and all of a sudden got well. Got well too quick, or just got well, period, or got tired of the Oh, am I going to have to hear that quote again? Oh, I'm going to have to see this person again. Oh, I'm going to have to do this person. What they've done, they've lost their priority for sobriety. And they go back out. And they end up losing more than they ever came in originally. You see, I think I'm still here because, you know, my higher power wants me here. You see, my choices in life, I used to think it was other people's choices. No, it's my other choices in life that have put me in the stage and condition that I am today. And I no longer can afford to blame anyone, only me. And I know today, no matter what, I am accountable and responsible for the quality of my sobriety. And I'm here to tell you good folks that David wants to go out of this world a sober person. No matter what, I want to go out of this world with a sober person. 
and you know a higher power as I know my higher power. And the program of Alcoholics Anonymous has given me this gift that my bags are packed. My bags are packed right now. And if that would happen right after this meeting, I would say to each and every one of you, thank you for joining and being part of the journey of my life. There will be no regrets. There will not be any tears. And I surely wouldn't want any tears from anyone else. I truly believe that each and every one of us have given, been given the greatest gift that we could ever have. I will always remember Marsha for something. I was talking about something before. You never know how someone's going to touch their hearts. And I've never had the opportunity to tell her this. So I'm going to tell her this now. You see, you never know what someone's going to say. That remark might always stay in your mind. No matter who that person is, what that person is, whatever. But I used to hear Marcia, and at first it got me irritated. She would say this. Keep your head out of your butt. Why would she say this? Why would she say this? See, I know why she says this today. And every time I think of her, or something's happening new in my life that it's unacceptable to me, I can picture, I can draw Marsha. I picture her, and she's saying, David, keep your head out of your butt. And you know what? She's so right. She's so right. So that's why it's so good for people like me who came from where I came from. And as I progress through my journey, to keep that open mind and that willingness that willingness. You know, um, I just turned 79 years old. I've just turned 79 years old. Wow. I never came to you good folks till I was 54 years old. You see, I used to bring employees of mine to a place called uh, Rosary Hall in Cleveland. And I would um, always say, you know, I would take, bring them to the company from our company and I would tell um, the person that would come outside to pick them up, I would be yelling at them and say, no drunk's going to be working for me. No drunk is going to be working for me. And here they'd be looking, I wonder, they give the person that I'm bringing to Rosary Hall and then be looking at me. Wow, which one should I be taking? You see, because the drunk was bringing a drunk, but no drunk was ever going to work for me. 
But yet, I am the drunk of the company. I'm the drunk of the company. And since I'm a corporate executive, you know, what, you know, back then, you know, you, it was kind of acceptable. And as long as you were doing your job, but what I was doing was I was smart enough to hire people around me to do my job. And they was just paying them well, paying them more than they could get in any other department. And they were very protective of me. But yeah, I'm here. I'm an alcoholic in denial, alcohol on, uh, on the merry ground called denial. And um, I'm yelling that people say no drunks ever going to work for me or for our company. And so that's what I was doing. And, um, you know, I never intended to, to be that way. And I'm going to share a little bit of my experience. You know, I, um, I, uh, I need to also to tell you that uh, I have two, two degrees underneath my name. You see, I thought those were very, very important. I went to a um, went to a school down in um, uh, Kentucky, and um, it was a very, very strict Methodist school, and um, it was no drinking allowed. It was, um, in fact, the whole county was, um, you know, alcohol free and. Um, and um, then from there, I went on to another university in Ohio that was a Methodist university. And um, there was no drinking in that community either. But, you know, David, you know, we, we, we find our own niche. And um, so, you know what, my parents were very concerned about me because I had the ism myself, me, long time before I ever picked up a drink. I had serious, serious issues, serious, serious issues. I, I was, uh, you know, I was full of self. I was uh, full of, um, you know, uh, you know, me, I, I was self-centered. I was lazy. I was never responsible. I was never a accountable. I was a three-inning ball player. I could start out well and then, you know, drift off. And uh, I had very serious behavioral problems, very serious sexual problems. Um, I didn't understand the thing about good choices, good life, bad choices, bad life. I felt less than at times. I felt better than at times. I had all that stuff going on me and I was never comfortable in my own skin. You see, I knew I was different in here in my heart than other people. And I didn't know what to do with it. And I came from a family that never had that type of a problem. You know, I never had that type of a problem. And, uh, you know, I was taught the ABCs of life from their standpoint and they just said this, David, you you come and you work hard. You do the um, twelve disciples of life. Here's the big book. Here's the big book of their life. 
on how to get through life, and it was different from ours. And you know, you went to church, you did this, you did this, ABCs of life, and you follow those ABCs. You get in the right school, you go to the right company, you stay there, stay there forever. And then you go into, um, you know, the golden years of life and everything is wonderful. Everything's wonderful. And I couldn't understand that. I couldn't understand that, but I kind of believed it. But, you know, I just couldn't follow those, that book of instructions. And now I realize that, um, you know, I had uh, attention deficit disorder. I had search and learning disabilities and school was very hard for me. And so what I would do is act out and stuff like that and do things that were inappropriate. And I was always getting myself in trouble. And, and um, you know, I had the ism and I didn't even pick up alcohol yet. You know, I worked for my uncle, they owned a pharmacy and um, in, uh, in the area town that I lived in. And I used to go and, um, you know, uh, back then, you know, they kept everything on pieces of paper and people could charge their stuff. And uh, I would make all the beer deliveries for them and do deliveries of the prescriptions. And so back then there was a uh, bottled beer and mainly in canned beer. And uh, I would drop them off and then get them to sign their thing on paper and and I would go back and um, I, I, I was manipulating their, um, their um, you know, statements and stuff like that. I'm a thief, you know, and of course my uncle never knew that. And, uh, and I was giving cases of beer to my friends and, um, and they liked me for that. And that's how I got my friends. I, and at that time I wasn't drinking, but you know, I'm doing all the wrong stuff. I mean, I mean you know, I'm doing all this stuff. And, and the reason I was not drinking that, because this is what happened a couple of times. I tried to drink and every time I drank, I became an idiot and they did something stupid. And my mom and dad would find out and they would just go through the roof. And so I had this fear thing within me that if I would get caught doing it, they would, um, they would find out. And so it was easier for me not to do it, but I still would get my friends stuff. I still would make deliveries to the customers that I knew they had alcohol problems and stuff like that. And you know, pad their bills and that. And, uh, well, you know where I'm going with that. I, uh, I, uh, but I had that ism, and I, uh, you know, was doing stuff just inappropriate and and um, sexually, and and um, so. one day, um, you know, so anyhow, so I'm trying to keep my thoughts together. And um, 
<clears throat> so you can see that I had the ism way before. And so they decided they were going to send me down to the school down in um, um, Kentucky. And um, I ended up with two roommates there. And uh, mom and dad took me down to the school. And I promptly got back in the car and told them that I wasn't going to room with these two guys. That um, <clears throat> they, they were gay. And I wasn't going to be around people like that. I didn't even know they were gay or not. They looked gay to me. I don't even know what a gay person looks. You know, it's just crazy stuff I have in my head. And they asked me, um, so they said, David, you just stay here for three months. And if it doesn't work out, we'll come and get you. You know, they were great enablers for me. And I know as long as I was with mom and dad, they'd be there to help me out. And um, they'd enable me. So I stayed there with me. And the first night I was there, they asked me if I drank. And so I said to them, oh, do I drink? Of course I drink. You know, I said, who doesn't drink? And they said, good, he said. Uh, and so, and I instantly got to know them. It turns out that the one guy that I was rooming with, his father was the head of the, um, um, the Methodist, he was like the big humba up in the Louisville area. And he was uh, involved with all the churches and he was like the delegate or whatever the ministry. It was very, very big and it was on the board of, of this college I went to. The other uh, individual um, that I went with was the son of a jockey up in uh, Churchill Downs. And so he was always up there. And, um, and so of course, during a derby week, um, and tulips were rolling, everything was rolling, everything closed down in the city. And I would end up disappearing with them. And while I was in school, they always knew where to find the moonshine. And so these three good boys, these three good Christian boys were running rampant through the college and uh, college dorms and through the women's dorms and doing stuff very inappropriate, getting into all types of problems and everything was falling on me because of course they were part of the in crowd with the with a college and here's David taking all the heat for it. And um, I almost uh, didn't graduate from that school. But there I started to finding about drink trouble, drink trouble. It never gets better, it only gets worse. And I, I thought it was just a stage of my life. Thought it was just a stage of my life. And then once I um, went on from there, I went on to that university up in, uh, up in Ohio and it was a Methodist school. 
And um, I knew because I was going there, even though I had graduated from the, as a school, I was on probation there due to my behaviors. And, um, um, and I was just making it in, 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 on my grades. And uh, I ended up graduating from that school. So I did a short stint in the service. And um, when I was in service, I, uh, I was in service in 68 and 69 during the Vietnam era. I was stationed down in San Antonio, Texas. And um, I was uh, staying in stayed at uh, Brooks um, Army Hospital, which was the burn hospital of the world. And uh, it still was one of the burn hospitals of the world. But at that time, off San Antonio was some military place. And um, I went in there as a, uh, because I joined the um, um, the Army Reserves. And um, so I went in as an Army Reservist and uh, was sent to uh, a place called Camp Polk, Louisiana. And I was in um, Charlie Ford there and uh, there were all these young people there and that was the training grounds for Vietnam. And um, so I went, um, I went there and I, I, I graduated from there and then I got sent down to, uh, to San Antonio. And, uh, you know, I, I still have feelings about that today because every, everyone that I was in service with down in Charlie Ford had gone over to Vietnam in the infantry there, a bunch of young kids, 18, 19, 20 years old, gun ho, gun ho, they're gonna kill Charlie. And and 90% uh, and of them all were, um, were killed in, in Vietnam. And here David was sitting back in the army hospitals. And um, but while I was there, I saw things uh, I truly believe a person should never see. And I saw people coming back, their bodies burned out off, and faces scored and flat with napalm. And uh, I worked with a bunch of medical people, doctors, and we would, would work four days in a row around the clock. And uh, they were bringing them in as faster and we would have to be doing stuff that I, I, I mean, it just smelled of flesh. And so they started taking me with them on weekends, on Friday, Saturday, Sundays, going down to the way to Laredo. And I saw the walls of sin. And I'm not going to go into it. You can just imagine, oh, I know he didn't do this. Oh, yes, I did. Oh, he didn't do that. Oh, yes, I did. He would never do this. Oh, yes, I did. And a lot of drinking, a lot of drinking. We would give ourselves each other penicillin shots on the way back. 
and um, go back in and start all over again. And so I can tell you then that my alcoholism had really progressed. And, uh, but I was in denial, you know, and I came home and thought I was going to put it down. And I uh, came home to mom and dad and, and um, you know, dad decided I needed to get a job. And after much coercion, I went out and got this job in the small company. And um, they had hired four individuals. Now, I never knew why they were looking for these four individuals. They were looking for four young people to take over the company because what I found out that the company was in the buyout. They were in the food surface equipment industry. They were looking for poor sharp individuals. And um, what happened was uh, one came out of, um, um, I can't think of Cornell University. One came out of um, the uh, very, very uh, popular um, <clears throat> financial university out of um, Pittsburgh and another one came out for another um, university, Dartmouth or one of those. And, um, and then, so I knew there was, I was never going to get this job. And so the, the VP of manufacturing asked me, he said, what's, what, by the way, what's, what school did you say you went to? And I told him, he said, really? And I said, yeah. He said, well, I graduated from that school too. And I said, you did? And he asked me a question. What did you hear think of Dr. Conklin? Well, I knew I wasn't going to get that job. And so I said, so I didn't care what I said to him. I said, he was a real asshole. Well, I left there and I got called in the next day and I got called, got that job. And um, so I went there and um, there were a bunch of alcoholics there and um, that's where my journey began. Now I'm going into the corporate world and I couldn't understand why these guys always left the office all grumpy in the morning and when they would come back at after lunch, and those lunches could be two hours, whatever, um, they would get, you know, all happy and stuff like that. And uh, they started taking me to lunch with them. And it was at um, one of the big, um, uh, one of the big places in Cleveland. And um, <clears throat> what happened was um, they would order drinks and my boss told me, you know, David, you have to loosen up. He was the treasurer of the company. You have to loosen up a little bit if you're going to be successful. Well, it was the worst thing they could have ever said to me because David loosened up and never stopped loosening up until his termination from that corporation. I'm going to speed ahead a little bit. You know, little consequences became little bigger consequences, bigger consequences became bigger consequences. 
I'm uh, assigned to this training program. I, I'm going through all the, the entities of the company. And as I told you, I went through uh, the administration and um, human resource. I, I went through the manufacturing segment. I went through the sales and ended up in international sales where drinking is considered, you know, very susceptible. And um, doing just, just incredible things, um, inappropriate things, um, dancing on tables, uh, talking Chinese in uh, Hong Kong, and I don't even know Chinese. And, you know, hey, and, uh, you know, to, to the Asian community, this is totally, totally, you know, bongo, because the elders are the, the highest in success. And so as the, our industry started to change and wind down, you know, we had 13 companies throughout Cleveland, I mean, throughout the United States and Canada. And, um, you know, we had this, this, uh, in a couple international brand branches, one in, um, outside of uh, Frankfurt. And then uh, we had one, um, you know, in Singapore and uh, things like this. I, I'm, and so here I, they put me in charge of the Far East and the uh, you know, the president's hearing all this crazy stuff and uh, they, they, they send me out to California and, and to be in charge of these three plants out there. And I get in trouble out there, out on the island with my secretary, knowing, not knowing that she's doing drug trafficking. And of course I'm doing the driving and uh, my president has to come out and get me out of serious troubles. And, you know, you, you, you get hit. The, I, I don't have to tell you anything about the progression. We got a new um, administration and that weren't going to tolerate this. Then we got another new administration and who wanted all of his own people when I was the last one of the old group. And um, it was his excuse because he knew what I was to uh, let me go. So, you know, uh, out of that, I, I thought, well, you know, well, I can't believe they did that to me after 26 years. But I'm going to tell you what my friend alcohol did for me at the age of 54, it's very important that not only you know this, that I know this, but that my friend alcohol took away from me. You know, you see, I used to think it was you that took it away from me. It took away my um, beautiful marriage that I had, that beautiful girl that I had, Mitzi. I still love her today. She's not in my life today. That beautiful family that I had, 
They're not in my life today. The nice home that I had, it's not in my life today. Those toys that I have that I thought were so important, they are not in my life today. Brought me a lot of problems with the Treasury Department because I thought I was better than the Treasury Department. Brought me a lot of legal problems because I thought I was above the law. You see, I thought I was my higher power. It brought me, it just, you know, it took from me, it took from me, it took from me, consequences, consequences. And I never realized until I came here with you good folks and stayed with you for a while and no one ever did anything to me. David all did this by himself, to himself. See, my choices in life, my choices in life, even my choices in life today, the choices I make in life today, good choices, good life, bad choices, bad life. It's not a guarantee, but it's a better than it, it, it would be if I was out there running the streets and running my mouth and, and not having a program to come to. I'm going to ask you to ask yourselves right now, and I don't want you to answer. As I'm going to ask myself, are we not blessed? Are we not truly blessed to be in the meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous and have each other to lean on with the craziness that's going out in our society today in the outside world? I truly believe that so many people wish they had a program like we do to help this. Am I grateful? Am I grateful? I know today the grateful that David does not need more in his life to be grateful. I just need to be grateful for what I have and for what I don't have and what my higher power has left me. You know, I would never have found you if it wasn't for the pandemic would never have found you. You know, I, uh, <clears throat> my car is parked out in front of uh, 17th and Prospect on April 25th of 1997. And an African uh, American angel came into my life. And he was walking down the street and he was on his way to work and he pounded on my Cadillac and he saw my car up on the street and up off the street. And he said, and once he got me awake and I was able to get my window down, he said, are you looking for Harbor Light? And I looked at him and said, oh wow, a bar. I said, yeah, yeah. He said, let me get some people to come over and let's get you into Harbor Light. 
Not knowing right across from me was the Salvation Army. The Salvation Army for the homeless. This is where he was taking me. Was that a higher power? Was that not a higher power of some sort? I know it wasn't me. And that's where my journey began. While I was there, I met a guy there. His name was uh, Bobby M. Doesn't mind me using his name. And he said to me one day, he says, oh, we got a big shot here, don't we? We got a real big shot here, huh? You come walking in this door here with a briefcase. There's nothing in that briefcase. You know, and you complain when they shower you down and spray you for, for bugs, yelling at everyone, don't you know who I am? Bobby Moore knows who you are. You just don't know who you are. You know, let me give you some advice, young man, as he's poking fun at me. You know, I'm probably never going to be able to get you that job that you ever had at one time back. I'm never probably going to get you that house that you ever had one time back. I don't know. I'm looking through, through your files and I see there's a lot of back troubles, a lot of uh, financial problems, a lot of treasury department problems, a lot of this problem. I said, you know, If you stay here with us one day at a time and we do as you ask you to do, you're going to find something that you probably haven't had in a long time. And I'm looking out the windows and he says this to me, something you, money can't buy, you're going to be given your self-respect and dignity back. I can look at each and every one of you today and tell you no matter what's going on in my life today, I have my self-respect and dignity. I no longer have to look down at my shoes. I no longer have to look down at my shoes. What a precious gift. You know, I left I left there and, uh, and and I went on to an advanced treatment facility and I started going to meetings and meetings became more meetings and I was doing all the right things, really got into AA and then um, no got time in the program and and um I started having problems with my lungs and um, I started and I was diagnosed with uh, emphysema and COPD. And um, with five years sober, I, I, I couldn't even walk. And so my sponsor, you know, um, was a, a pharmacist. Uh, also started making these lollipops for me, and um, and I uh, he said, David, you're going to um, get off um, tobacco, and uh, 
I finally got off tobacco and uh, everything went back up to normal. Went up to normal and, um, but uh, I was living the good life and I'm still living the good life, but it's a different type of good life. But about three years ago, everything rampantly went downwards. And I ended up on the lung transplant list for the Cleveland Clinic. And so I've had to make some decisions, folks. I've had to make some decisions. And I'm just going to close a um, little. I know I've left a lot of stuff off. But when I'm in the hospital, you know, Zoom, I had no one to turn to. And Westside Agnostics knows uh, I was spending stints in the hospital six weeks at a time, four weeks at a time, getting longer and longer. And they told me, said, you know what, David, there's nothing more we can do for you. You don't want a lung transplant. And I understand. You see, the recoup time for a lung transplant is twice as long as a heart transplant. And why do I want to go through that? You know, why do I want to go through that? And so I, uh, I only had Western Side Agnostics. And so I was going to West Side Agnostics and they babied me and they, you know, I, they uh, listened to me and they, uh, they became my higher power and, uh, you know, but they were there for me. They were there for me day in and day out. And then I went and found this other meeting through someone else, and it was that uh, Christian meeting down in uh, down in New Orleans. And I started going to there. I do that first thing in the morning and come to Westside Agnostics at at night because I can't get out to traditional meetings. My immune system, I can't be around people. And um, and this is what I've learned over and through my journey. You see, we can learn from everyone. A guy that irritates me so much down at this Christian meeting called, um, <clears throat> can't think of a can't even think of it right now. Uh, down in New Orleans, irritates me so much, gives me some of my best advice. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? All I have to do is listen to him. And what I don't want, just put it on the shelf. You never know when you're going to want to use it. And then when I come to you good folks, I'm always getting a wealth of good information from you. And if there's something I don't approve of or like, David, just listen. Put it on the shelf because you never know when you're going to want to use it. You see, the journey of Alcoholics Anonymous has given me that openness and willingness, that expansion to broaden my sobriety. 
proud of myself and quit arguing, quit arguing and just be grateful for what I've been able to accomplish. And I want, I may be able to have, you know, I still read from the January 6th book. I always still read January 6th. Keeping sober is the most important thing. I still read, um, you know, January 6th, June 8th, 28th, and uh, uh, June the 8th and December 28th of there. There. I still, um, so I'm just going to share some of the lasting thoughts I've learned over my 24 years. Don't act on my first impulse, put it away for 24, year, for 24 hours. Don't act on my first impulse, put it away for 24 hours. No matter what's going on in your life, there's a beginning, there's a middle and the end. And I'll have to adjust myself to what other tunnel, whatever, to go from that beginning to the middle to the end. And there will always be an end. And it is up to me it's up to me to help find that and take the suggestions to reach that end. And what I've also learned, it doesn't matter what you accomplish that in life. It matters what you overcome and become, no matter how you do it. What I also have found out is that in silence, there is peace. In silence, there is peace. And in his will, no matter what that will is, what type of a will from whatever your higher power is, is truly our peace. And what I've also found out is that Find the opportunity in the difficulty. And when I was in the hospital, in the places I was in for four and six weeks at a time, a number of times an individual would come in, the doctor would come and say, David, would you mind letting us Wake up something that you talk to someone that is on the transplant list that needs some encouragement. And I would say, of course, I will. So you're always looking for that difficulty. Four things we can never recover. The stone after the throw. The occasion after it's missed. The word after it's said, the time after it's gone. And lastly, protect your reputation for it's your greatest asset. When I was new, there was a man that uh, 
said to me, for the first person that ever made me laugh in Alcoholics Anonymous. His name was Elaine Bailey in Cleveland, Ohio. So guys, I, I need to tell you something. I've been diagnosed with um, terminal cancer and um, I only have most three months to live. It's rampage through my body. There's nothing they really can do. And of course, all of us will say, how could you say this? I'm brand new. How could you do this to us? <laughs> how could I do this to them? You know, all about me. Not thinking about him. What's going to happen to us? What's that? What's now? And this is what he said, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous' greatest gift had ever stumbled into. You see, before they used to take me out of the bushes and take me to the drunk tanks. At one time, you know, they would pick me up in, in uh, you know, off the street or pick me up in the bus stops. Or they pick me up on someone's doorstep and take me to the drunk tank. Didn't even know where I was. And you see that building down there? You see that Ohio building, Ohio building down there? I was the complete architect of that building. You see, Alcoholics Anonymous has given me a new set of eyes, a new set of glasses. It has given me something I would never have had if I wouldn't have come here. It's given me a new freedom and a new happiness. It's given me a new life. And folks, it also has given me the grace and dignity to, to go out of life and to go on with my journey of afterlife, well, no matter what that is. So what I'm saying, why should I be crying? Why should I be unhappy? And as I've told you at the beginning, Thank you, Alcoholics Anonymous and good people like you. I have been given that same opportunity. It has given me a stuff I never thought I would have, folks. Never thought I would have. It's given me that life. It's going to take me out of my self-respect, my dignity. What more could a man have? Whenever I'm caught, my bags will be packed. And all I want to say is thank you. Thank you all for being on the journey of my life. Because without each and every one of you,
However, never has the opportunity to be here with you for another 24 years. That's my story. That's my share. Thank you all.